नमस्ते ऑल योगा इम्प्लाइज दैट मैंस इवोल्यूशन इज नॉट कंप्लीट इट इम्प्लाइज दैट देर आर ग्रेटर एंड हायर पॉसिबिलिटीज डीपर पॉसिबिलिटीज विच कैन इमर्ज थ्रू सर्टन प्रैक्टिसेस एंड परहैप्स दैट इज द रीजन वाई वी सी विद इन मैन as in no other creature a state of constant discontent this discontent he expresses initially towards his fellow creatures towards world towards god when he is in crass ignorance when knowledge begins to dawn a little he turns inward and sees that the source of discontent is not outside but inside within his own countless inadequacies and imperfections unlike the animal kind man then strives to get past these imperfection to mold himself into something more beautiful something more um, more human like or something still greater than human in fact in a way man is meant for yoga he is hardwired and softwired rather for yoga and uh, that's why we have education is a form of yoga in ignorance all education is actually a form of yoga when we don't understand the deeper profundities of yoga we at least believe that man's condition can improve and there are things which are asleep which can emerge through a process of education call it schooling or whatever else normally this evolution is a very unconscious process through the various experiences of life through the various challenges of life we begin to grow hopefully a little wiser hopefully a little less foolish two things that you know often and hopefully a little stronger so normally this is an unconscious process and it's, it's a long process yoga is to compress this long process into a much shorter time frame and this can be done if man consciously collaborates in the yogic journey this unconscious long process is because always within creation there is a fire of yoga which is burning it is the divine energy within which is trying to express itself through forms through qualities through objects through names so on and so forth but with man it reaches a point where we can become conscious collaborators in this whole process of the divine expressing himself through creation this is the background of the yoga now to what extent we can evolve consciously there we have different schools of yoga which uh, vary according to the extent to which we can evolve and the process that we use to evolve so when we speak about the extent to which we can evolve one of the common things that we get by the term yoga which is more prachalit nowadays more popular is that yoga is for bodily and mental mind health it is a kind of way of creating harmony between mind and body now this is very inadequate because uh, this is something yes of course yoga can do it but this is not yet bringing out a greater possibility it's harmonizing the existing possibility it is like you have a certain arrangement within a room of various objects and you put it in a way that it looks very nice a wonderful thing to do but it is not all so uh, another kind of yoga is where there are powers asleep within nature um within the realm of a triple nature the triple worlds as they are called which come out for instance when people go into Olymp- olympic and break records what do they really bring out they bring out the possibility of the body uh, 
now do they call themselves yogis no they don't call themselves yogi <laughs> they uh, they just believe that they must do it better so this urge to do better with a perseverance uh, and possibly a prayer in the heart this aspiration for which they leave behind things which ordinarily they would do if they were not to take this journey brings results so basically yoga is this triple labor on one side there is this aspiration to exceed the human limits which uh, you know everybody whether it be olympics or whether it be any game or music anything we have to do that this aspiration is the common element the will to improve the will to go further to will to go beyond the limits and uh, the next step is rejection so if you want to become a uh, olympian or if you want to you know um, play a musical instrument very well there are other distractions which you have to leave behind you can't say that i'm going to do everything and under the sun and yet reach that peak so that second process is called as rejection in shobindo's yoga there is a lot of importance given to it though many yogas don't speak about it but it is implied within it how it is implied is that when we speak about concentration as a key element of yoga we actually cannot concentrate if there are many distracting elements towards which we are drawn so concentration by its very nature implies shobindo puts it very beautifully in synthesis if the left arm of yoga is concentration then the right arm is renunciation you can't the two go together and of course the third aspect of uh, important limb of yoga is yoga implies that there is a power state of consciousness that is higher than man and if we uh, plot it along in you know uh, axis of consciousness then naturally we can say that that state of consciousness is a state of higher consciousness call it super consciousness or it's one of its ranges so because it is greater than man's consciousness therefore it can help in the process in fact it helps us in the process though we don't quite realize it many times when you know we are saved from imminent disaster many times when a disaster takes becomes a blessing for us a curse seeming curse becomes a blessing it's because there is a greater consciousness which surrounds our limited life of ignorance now those who are more inclined toward the impersonal just use the word state of consciousness they they, are, they somehow don't like to use the word being because uh, um, you know for various reasons anyways but those who are inclined towards a personal uh, rapport and relation with the supreme they use the word being but it is understood that a state of greater consciousness is necessarily a being because if there is uh, a state in which Uh, whatever that is is aware of oneself after all it is because of consciousness that we become aware of ourselves and aware of everything else so there is an awareness of oneself which is what a being is so when we surrender consciously to this being then the whole yogic process becomes um, you know much more easier simpler and smoother so essentially there are two routes that we can take from where we are to to where yoga can take us one is the route of personal tapasya where we believe that by our own efforts we have to achieve something so when we take this route then there is lot of emphasis on the methods processes sometimes to that extent that the real principle is lost so there are people who become so much focused on the method that they forget that the truth is not about the process it's like those people who come as a doctor in my profession who come and say that you know doctor sir give me that capsule which was uh, you know green and yellow so i have to tell them that look you know we don't recognize capsules and green and yellow we recognize them with their pharmaceutical name not even the brand name 
So, uh, you know, but they insist on that because they've forgotten that it's not the color of the capsule, but the content which is uh, helping us. And sometimes one can be easily fooled by these colors, fancy names. People use this. They market. The same thing happens in yoga also. It's marketed. The name will be such which will make you feel, I don't want to take names because, you know, one can be sued for this. But there are names of drugs which make you feel good instantly. It's the same chemical. So that's why, you know, sometime back there was this big debate on uh, whether we should use pharmaceutical names or the brand names. But that apart, not to go into that discussion. So there are yogas which are so strict about the method and the uh, externalities that they sometimes lose the essence of yoga. So the essence of yoga is an ascension of human consciousness to that which is beyond. And the beyond is not just sleeping quietly that you ascend. I'll meet you here. Now, there are yogic paths which take it that no, that state is nothing but a vast impersonality and you have to climb by your own efforts. This is what is called as a path of tapasya. Tapasya literally means tap. You gather your consciousness, concentrate it in a small point and it becomes tapas. It becomes intense. And when this endeavor is done with an idea of a spiritual result, then it becomes tapasya. Tapasya is nothing else but a concentrated spiritual endeavor. So this is nothing to do with the dress we wear or you know what we profess outwardly or the scriptures we have read. It doesn't matter. But if we are able to gather the strings of our consciousness and concentrate within idea of spiritual evolution or realizing a spiritual truth or simply plunging oneself into the arms of the divine, whatever it be, or escaping the limits of the human formula in which we are trapped, then it becomes tapasya. So, tapasya is a concentrated spiritual endeavor. On the other hand, there is the path of surrender. In the path of surrender, it is implied that whatever our efforts can be, they are efforts of ignorance. And therefore, necessarily, they, are, uh, they will be inadequate. We may think that we are doing something very right or whatever it be according to the book, but it will be inadequate because we are starting from a state of ignorance. But surrender implies that there is a much greater consciousness. We call it divine, Bhagwan, God, doesn't matter. Uh, it matters only to the extent that these terms have now developed a certain meanings in our human mind. That's why it matters. <laughs> because other, if you don't give meanings, then it doesn't matter. You, it's enough to understand that there is a, uh, a being. So, Shobindra used the word divine because, you know, it's still a word which has not been corrupted. The word God and, you know, all these words have been corrupted over a period of time. So, uh, you know, divine gives the fragrance of something which is perfect, beautiful, uh, and a being at once and a consciousness all these are conjured in this term so this divine being is there to help us so this little effort that we are putting in when we uh, offer it to him then he adds from his side uh, plenty it's like you know uh, often we I was reading this little story it's very interesting that a child goes um, because he has to get some money for uh, somebody's surgery and the child takes his little piggy uh, bank some very small amount and goes to a hospital says that you know I want my uh, so and so father to be operated but uh, how much money uh, would you need and the man is at the counter is shocked because this child is coming with just a little handful of money but as things would have it because he has prayed 
as the story goes, there is right by his side the cardiac surgeon who happened to be at that point of time. And he said, how much money you have? So he shows that I have this much money, which is hardly anything. And he says, okay, I think this is just enough. This is what we need. And he takes him, under, you know, he undergoes the surgery and comes out. Now, what it means is that basically we put in our efforts. Divine does not give the result based on how many hours we have put in the effort. But on the sincerity, now this child had that childlike simplicity and sincerity that I prayed to God and he will take care of me. And he gives all of him, which was maybe very small amount, but it was completeness. So it is this completeness of giving with this sincere aspiration which really brings the effort. So the first thing to understand is the integral yoga is much less of an external process it is primarily an inner psychological process that's why shubindu uses the word that yoga is um, practical psychology so what is meant by this term is that our psychology is not what we read in psychology textbooks fortunately not uh, but uh, there are psychology means a whole range of forces that move us so that the end result is certain actions um, and it's uh, you know inevitable consequences so uh, this uh, whole range of forces we become a student of that forces and of course uh, we have the uh, writings from mother and shobindo and the great mystics the gita itself explains to us and we begin to see that how this combination of forces um, helps or harms us you know first step to yoga when mother was asked that you know why do you, what should we do to prepare ourselves for yoga she says grow conscious become conscious so we become conscious of this whole range which is lying submerged the first thing that yoga shows us that outside it looks all orderly every human being presents a very nice and neat facade and uh, that's how the world knows him and that's how perhaps he knows uh, or he presents himself to the world then behind this external facade there is the other man and that man the world does not know and this man partially knows because there also we have very nice pictures about us if he gets angry we have an instant justification i got angry but it's because of that person always there is somebody else so this is the inner world which is often in chaos and disorder and this is a third way of looking at ourselves in terms of psychological understanding is the way the divine understands us so the divine doesn't understand us only as a small fraction of time he understands us as a unique formation of our past so he knows all the trials and tribulations of the journey and he he also understands us in terms of future where we are going there was a lady who used to be you know very uh, caustic and very uh, difficult uh, uh, person and the mother would uh, you know deal with her with lot of compassion somebody asked mother mother she is so uncouth and uh, such sometimes so crude why do you uh, tolerate her with so much uh, you there seems to be an extra compassion of course she tolerates everyone and is full of compassion but why is so such an extra compassion says you know my child she doesn't know but i know she has suffered a lot in a previous life so you know the mother knew this so while we look at ourselves as you know that's how one can understand yoga um, like why shri krishna is with arjuna and he he gets the special favor from shri krishna of even that revelation which yogis have not got I think after the revelation of the Gita, the revelation of the Supreme. If you really see somebody, the mother speaks about it, and Shirobindo. Otherwise, one has had vision of Krishna, one has had vision of the different gods, but this kind of revelation. But Arjuna has it, 
So Arjuna asks that, my God, I thought you are a friend of mine, but who are you? And then he says, we have fought the battle of the ages. Now Arjuna doesn't know, he is just a Pandu, one of the Pandu putra and you know, Drona Shishi Arjuna and he likes Krishna, that's all. But Krishna knows him to be a partner in the great game of life since beginning. So that's why he says, uh, you know, we are uh, partners in the great game of life as Nar Narayana. And of course, you are my Vibhuti. So <laughs> then he, he recognizes this uh, new dimension. So this is how uh, the yoga of surrender goes, where we are more and more taken up by God. So the difference is when we try yoga too much on personal effort. Here also effort has to be there. Surrender is not like I'll just sit in one place and suddenly I say that I have surrendered. Now, if God wants to move me, he'll move me. Surrender is not that. Surrender is that I'll make my little effort, whatever I can make. But I I know the limits of my effort and I'll try to keep improving upon the limits. But I know that the ultimately he is there and he is there to overcompensate for the limitations of my own being and limitations of my effort. So when we take an approach like that, we see more and more that the divine begins to take up the yoga and the yoga proceeds with, uh, you know, a much faster pace, much swifter pace and a much more complete and, uh, you know, organic way. Surrender also means that, uh, you know, I am not moved by all the appearances. Sometimes, you know, people take up yoga with hidden intents. So this also, mother makes it very clear that in the beginning itself, one must be clear why one is undertaking the journey of yoga. So one may not see, speak it. There are many things hidden inside and people uh, enter into, let us say, a movement or uh, a spiritual path with the idea that now I have taken to a spiritual life and that means God is with me so he'll make sure that all my relatives not only myself everybody in my family and family's family because there are always extensions of family the divine is obliged to safeguard them and if anybody has corona or anything else that means God has been very unkind now this is <laughs> not a motive even for yoga some people have a little nobler motive that I am going to help others because yogis help others. Mother says very dangerous. The first thing one has to understand is only the divine helps. What we can do is we can become channels or instruments. In the beginning, that is the experience one has. That is the divine who acts and we are just channels or instruments. As Dvijendra Lal Roy so beautifully said, Tamar karmo tumi karoma. Loke bole kori, I mean people think I am doing it but it's you who are doing it. Uh, so the next step is that, well, I am not even an instrument or a channel. There is only the divine and one just takes the delight of the joy of the play. So uh, this is, first thing should be that the motive should be very clear. Why we are engaging in yoga at all. So if it is to help others, this is still an ego. We still want to live within the boundaries. Maybe we will become a vibhuti, but not really cross that line which marks a transition from ignorance to knowledge. Not that line where... Uh, we have, uh, you know, even pierced the veil of the subliminal and come in direct contact with the soul. So this motive should be clear. Third motive that many people have is powers. Now there is a lot of idea that yogis, you know, they have all kinds of miraculous powers. Now there is can be no greater danger than that. Of course powers awaken. But pursuit of power is very different from the spontaneous awakening of powers that happens because one is engaged in yoga. The difference is that when one is pursuing power, these powers can make one very, very egoistic, aggrandized and even the asura may possess a person who is going on the path of yoga. That's what we see in the story of Ravana. Whereas when these powers come and go, one is always in a state of humility because one knows they don't belong to us. Especially um, not the general what goes in the name of yoga, but uh, often when we 
undertake a very serious effort at yoga so what happens the divine force begins to act upon us so what will be hidden before the divine nothing normally we have covered everything in nice uh, comfortable layers uh, not only people don't know even we don't know that there are things within us but when the divine force acts it's a power of truth so things like ambition may get uncovered things like deep root sexual instincts all these can get uncovered and they can topple one because they are uh, you know they are not easy forces to handle ordinarily because of the social and other forms of things um, forces they are kept under check but when the divine force brings it out in all its uh, rawness in all its uh, you know capacity then it can be a very risky thing that's why surrender is the one which saves us on the path self giving a constant state of offering because these are forces much more difficult to handle so the ambition again some people want to be a great yogi because being a yogi is a very big thing nowadays it sells a brand yoga i am so people like also to be called a yogi they like to be called a swami they like that you know uh, they have they hold uh, various kinds of things uh, you know i don't want to get into it but you know there are there, there is money involved when you initiate a person or even for meeting a person Uh, all in the name of yoga and all is justified because you know we have to do god's work now we should be very careful that if we are moved by ambition or name or fame of any kind then we are straight opening a abyss on the sides even while we walk we are walking on the path we don't know when out of this abyss a gaping thing will come and push us down so all yoga implies that we have to get beyond all these limited motives which move us so what is the motive for which a yogin then uh you know practices the the yoga he practices yoga for the only valid reason for which yoga is done yoga means union so he feels that without the divine my life is incomplete inadequate imperfect so he pursues the divine for the sake of the divine for the joy of the divine and when he starts taking joy in the divine the divine takes joy in him or rather to put it this way that the divine takes joy in his creation and when we start taking join the divine that means from our side also aag idhar bhi barabar ki lagi hui hai udhar bhi the fire the fire has now touched equal that's when bhakti is born when bhakti is born then you know the path of course there will be turbulences but the path has become relatively easier of course sometimes we pursue we don't want to use the word divine surrender uh, especially in today's time uh, man is ultimate so you know man we have to surrender to a guru to a Uh, to a master it it's a bit of an anathema in in our modern rationally governed democratic system where all are same and all are equal and there is a kichdi brewing everywhere so there is a being greater than me how can that be uh, though it is a foolish uh, idea but uh, many people don't want to acknowledge a divine so they but they can acknowledge uh, that well they have a thirst for perfection it doesn't matter divine is not bound to our own ideas and opinions so it's enough for yoga to understand that we are limited beings and as long as we are driven by a limited nature and believe that we are this limitation this limited formation there is no yoga so there are people who are very comfortable in their life they just as they are and that's why it's so much more difficult to make human beings who are seemingly well settled quite rich and you know who have uh, many um, degrees on their visiting cards and you know who are achievers to turn to yoga because uh, they want to undertake yoga. they they are what they are and that is wonderful they believe so uh, 
um but they want to undertake yoga for little health for little peace of mind as they call it but that's not what real yoga is yoga implies that even the highest human achievement is nothing compared to what lies beyond us so this when we understand it not because uh, again there's so much talk about vairagya now vairagya is of two kinds or three kinds one is where one is disappointed from life because you know one failed in an examination didn't do well and therefore says i want to be a yogi well a person who couldn't grapple with the world is unlikely to be able to grapple with the intense uh, forces that move one when one undertakes the journey of yoga so that's why world is a preparation for yoga how we deal with the world marks us for the yogic uh, journey and that's why arjuna is so dear to sri krishna arjuna is not sitting in a hermitage sri krishna doesn't start teaching him the gita sitting in a quiet hermitage that come arjuna before the war starts i will take you in a quiet corner uh, we'll take a little ticket and go to a nice little place one day before and i'll give you all the knowledge even though he has no aspiration for it and after explaining to him all the things is now fight the war no arjuna is in the middle of the battle but he wants to know he knows the limitations of the human mind he can't even take a decision with all the knowledge that he have this is our state by the way everybody state is there a single decision which we can say is 100% wholeheartedly convincingly the correct decision if we really look closely we'll uh, discover that for every plus there is a minus that's the state of the mind Uh, beautifully described in Savitri that he sees before him, imagined garments, not a face. The future flees before him as he walks. His memory stares at a phantom past. This is our state. Man still a child in infants in nature's mighty hands. Uh, in the succession of the moment lives to a changing present is his narrow right. So this is our state. So if we think we are too much and too big already, then uh, God is very little place because. uh we may be very big but it's a big bubble so if god tries to enter in the bubble will burst so he tries to tell us okay be happy in the bubble and it's rainbow colors but sometime when he loves us very intensely burst the bubble that time we, <laughs> we go through a crisis many times this crisis can become a starting point towards a greater journey not because we are disappointed but because we have seen the inadequacy of life we have seen its imperfection and then it can become the starting point of a great tremendous journey so this is one kind then of course rajasik uh, vairagya where you know basically we want something and we take this route and of course satvik vairagya where we look at life philosophically we try to understand it and we understand that well life is imperfect because man is imperfect it's very simple logical thing if we are imperfect life cannot be perfect so it's ideal to believe that world will be perfect as long as i remain imperfect so the logical thing is even if you want to change the world first try to arrive at your own perfection you cannot have perfection in the world if we remain imperfect so this is the logic behind yoga that there is a greater consciousness beyond us and that consciousness will help us so this uh, limited consciousness is the magic circle of nature in which it binds its creature and there are countless ways ways with which it tries to keep it tied here have you tried seen how um, different uh, uh, business houses and um, well even you know, hospitals and all this do a doctor they will give a salary within uh, you know certain limits the moment he says i want to change i want to go to some other company so they will the first thing they will do is they will increase the salary so they will say uh, no no don't go uh, we'll increase 
so nature does like that it's a very old system of nature so the moment you want to go beyond because there is a strong urge for yoga that moment he'll say wait 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 we have something to give you something very nice <laughs> within the worldly frame you would have never imagined i'll give you that then you start wondering okay maybe this is worth it <laughs> but a time comes when we understand all is too little that the world can give its power and knowledge are the gifts of time so there are yogis which get carried away by that oh i'm getting this name and fame or whatever else but there are other yogis who stream roll carrying that also along with them on the path <laughs> that's like a mighty river like rishi agas the drinking the ocean okay this is come you are giving me this come come along on the great journey so this is a so what i mean is there is no one way of doing yoga it's a inner process nobody will understand what's going on inside like shri ramakrishna gave this example you know when we talk about renunciation it's not about outer it is an inner state tyaga and he gives the example of an elephant so elephant if a flea comes and says i want to make house in your inside your ear and the elephant's ear is all the time anyways moving and the flea thinks it's a yes so it makes a little house has children and after some time says okay i think the time has come for me to fly away i am so sorry i know you'll be heartbroken you'll be very sad but you know i have a flea world waiting for me out there what does elephant do it walks its way <laughs> with the same little elephant ears okay go um, of course if it is too compassionate it'll say you know this world is much better than the flea world <laughs> but still if somebody ultimately wants to go it goes so the real thing is that the real vairagya is not a disappointment but an understanding that this world is limited all yoga starts from that and the possibility when we don't undertake yoga then we just accept it it is limited so what what can you do you can do nothing so live within it that's the materialistic paradigm there's the utmost do good be good that's it but why do good and why be good without yoga we don't have a basis for that but yoga begins when we understand this limitation want to go beyond it and then there are a lot of processes and methods to break through this magic circle the one thing that helps is aspiration and concentration aspiration is the flame always within us it is lying buried every time when we feel oh the world should be a better place every time we have this urge that i wish i was a master of this uh, impulse or this tendency within me basically this like a little dot of light or fire spark but it is soon covered up with plenty of ash but if we can make it a conscious process and want to go beyond this limited formula of life into that greater consciousness and which best for the sake of simplicity and also its purity and totality is best to call it divine the urge for the divine but this fire has to be fed so how is this fire fed how to turn it into an akhand jyoti alakh niranjan so for that alakh niranjan we have to alakh niranjan is of course the grand vision that awaits us but to turn this fire which waxes and wanes into an akhand jyoti is to feed it how to feed it mother gives a very simple way by offering what do we offer the moment we think of offering we think of something outer i'll offer my hairs at the feet of the divine are offer your mundi if you want to offer over the head guts hai to ye kya char bal phir ug jayega 
Some people believe I'll offer a little bit of my purse. So as is your offering, that much is the. It's not measured by the number of money that you have offered. Five thousand out of five crores that you are getting. So divine will say, okay, what is the proportion? If he can be calculating, sometimes he can be for the fun of it. Okay, you have offered one percent. All right, one percent of me will help you. But supposing somebody is earning his five thousand and one has given out of that one thousand rupees, now the divine says this is too much. One fifth of mine, you have claimed by this. So it is not about the quantum, but the quality inside. So offering is not just that mechanically one is doing. I offer my day, I offer this thing, I offer that. Offering is an inner state where when we offer, there is that state of adoration, that state of gratitude, that state of joy. There is that clarity that this is what you have given me. You have given me another day. To wake up with this idea that ah, I have got one more day to progress. Thank God, night I have slept peacefully or whatever. I am awake now. I have a chance to become better. Every time, every day, the first thought that should come in different, not thought in the same way, but the state that I got a day to become better, and then offer the day with this aspiration, this state of gratitude. Then the offering becomes joyous. Just imagine if you go to somebody's house and he. Like a hotel, he gives the dish, and you say this is not good. He takes it away. Says, "Okay, I'll give you another." That's not what you enjoy. But when you go home to somebody's home and he gives you with joy, with and you receive with joy, that's what offering is. When your mom cooks for you, she doesn't say, "Ki okay, how much dollar you are going to put." So some people offer like this. I offered this thing, donation. The offering and donation is this basic difference. So when we offer to the divine, every It it can start in a general way to feed the fire. Wake up in the morning before we WhatsApp anybody else. This day is yours. Take me through this great journey of life, the battle of life. So, stay for a few moments in that state of gratitude, inner quietude, offering, aspiration. But it's a integral yoga, so it's not like keep staying in that attitude. Whatever happens to the world, wake up. Want to make a tea? Lord, this tea is yours. Please take a little sip. Have fun with him. He loves it. He is a friend. He is all kinds of relations in yoga we form with the divine. Shri Bindo says it's not just he is a guru. Guru means pedestal. Oh, Guruji, I am in the house. No, he loves to be a friend. He loves to be a playmate. He loves to be a beloved paramour. What is beloved and paramour? You are. Everybody thinks you love this, that, but secretly you are. He is your beloved. He is the one whom you are disclosing everything. What you cannot disclose to anybody in the world, you tell your beloved that you know what this this is me. Please help me out, <laughs> and he will solve your problems. He'll take care of you. So this is the beloved and paramour in the world. So divine is not just he is the mother. So what what is the relation with the mother? Whatever you may do, mother is someone you trust will help you. She may give you a nice tight slap if necessary, but still she will say okay. Galti to kia hai. You have done a mistake, but still, I am your mom. Then she will save us from the world. Ten thousand million times she will do that, because she is the mother. And then there is the father, and we turn to the father. He is the nourisher, the nurturer. He takes care of all our needs. So, this is a manifold relation we form with the divine in this yoga, and it comes through offering. When we are taking a bath. When we are dressing ourselves, we can say for a moment, "Lord, how do I look? 
ಜುಡೋ unless you know you are expert in the game otherwise you will be very badly hit so but turning our thoughts to the divine is to give our thoughts to the divine heart turn the emotions towards the divine they can be turned in two ways one is directly to the divine with all the splendor of a manifold love or you are engaged with the world children wife husband etc etc parents and friends and many others aspire that may your love become beautiful through all the uh, ups and downs of the journey so through all these people you will become uh, you will grow in the power of love because you are aspiring constantly that your love becomes more and more beautiful it carries within it the sweetness of the divine so regardless of what happens to people that's a different thing though it does begin to exercise a power on the world around that's what is meant in the gita when it is said that the bhakta of the divine treats everybody as with maitri and karuna maitri because you know that you know uh, that state of friendliness friendliness not because of outer customs tradition but because of a deeper consciousness which you begin to experience in everyone that touch so all the manifold relations of the heart what about giving in the li- uh, giving your life to the divine it means that in what is life actually life is all the time in movement towards some kind of achievement progress the joy of the journey uh, power all this is expression of life passions and everything turn them into service of god and the when our life is turned into the service of god then it begins to uh, start getting the touch of god basically through all these means we are coming in contact with the divine so what is meant by uh, again giving of life we can do it in two ways one is that i entirely do god's work and only god's work directly god's work or else whatever work i am doing i bring into it the element of the divine by an aspiration for perfection by an aspiration for becoming channels and instruments so either which way both ways we can go and gradually by offering our life and its energies then we are no more eyeing on the result whether i got promotion or not whether i got money or not it becomes irrelevant because my work is an offering to the divine the only thing that matters is whether divine is pleased or not with the work that i have done and he not only is pleased or displeased there is nothing like displeased he sees that where the work lacks in perfection and he changes us in a way that the work begins to become perfect that's what is meant by yoga karma sukashla one is that i do my work well second is in a state of yoga your work begins to become uh, you know kaushalam it begins to become perfect and then finally we give our very body to god it can go to an extent where even breath and heartbeat can be given to god so all these are ways by which we feed the flame and this flame for a long time is still within the magic circle it doesn't pierce but it's growing and growing and as it grows one begins to feel like a stranger in this world and one begins to feel there is a chick which is getting ready inside it kicks here and there and then as it grows one begins to feel its glow on the surface its warmth on the surface till one day the flame is ripe paka ami kacha ami of shri ramakrishna and suddenly there is a gap which is rent and when the gap is rent then in traditional yoga we escape through that gap 
we leave this shell as kabir das says matki phut gayi and the water has gone into the ocean so this one approach the pinjara khul gaya and the bird has flown the but this is not integral yoga integral yoga is that the flame with the through this opening now aspires for the higher consciousness the divine to enter into this matka this vessel this patram this body mind heart complex this world in with all its many sidedness and to make it perfect with the divine perfection it's a far more difficult part because once you rend the veil through the concentration there is a tremendous temptation to escape because by the time you do it you can already feel a huge difference between the growing divine being within us and the world around and there is a tendency that once the flame breaks there is a tendency to withdraw because one can see the difference and there are yogis who like it because one it's understandably so because it's so so difference is so huge it's literally if if one asks uh, me for an analogy it's like after having rajbhog of the divine touch you are tasting vishtha not even the gurki mithai some are gurki mithai agreed but there is also the vishtha element and how can you enjoy it savor it it's like descending into hell once that opening has taken place and you have breathed a little bit of that illimitable air that infinity the touch of eternity felt the rhythms of the eternal then to be here it's like literally being in a dungeon and hell earlier it looked like heaven oh i have so many children grandchildren all over nice photo frames and you know my son is in harvard my grandson child is already put a green card ka la diya line mein lammar hai then you feel my god such a falsehood such a stupidity this is what i felt is life it's hell but you enter into hell now consciously so in shubindu's yoga there is this ascension out of the limited human frame or the formula into the infinity and eternity of the divine it starts with contact initially it won't be straight away this or that there will be a contact slowly the contact will grow into friendship that is how all friendship grows initially please meet two people meet then one of them has to start liking then slowly they want to meet again then they ring up sometimes they just say hello hi and slowly it comes ki why don't you come and stay over for a few days in my house god's house ha huh? so you go and stay very nice then after some time through this contact there is a growing likeness fondness you begin to learn so much i remember as a child playing chess with a master he was a man in 90s and i was a 16 year old but basically it turned me into <laughs> real chess champion at that time because he knew so much he wanted company and i wanted you know chess so we just sat together and over uh, you know breakfast he was all alone so it was wonderful uh, to learn so by this growing closeness with the divine we begin to grow into the likeness of the divine meaning thereby our little nature begins to change into the divine supernature so as we we don't escape out of these bounds that you know um, what is that chadariya dhardi jhukithyo it is not a good chadariya you can't call it ki meli hui ki nahi it is already meli the fact that you take mud and the body of mud it is meli it you can't uh, you know it just that we didn't make it further soiled but the chadariya remained whatever it is 
So when we go there, we say, Lord, I am so wonderful. Everything is fine with you. Soul is always pure. It is wonderful. He says, but you know, that chadar out there, something can be done about it. So he says, okay, take my super rin, original super rin ki chamkar. Okay, no, I shouldn't take name of any brand because nowadays all this advertisement. So super divine soap. And he says, take it, divine detergent, apply it on the chadariya. And then slowly as we start doing it, we see what he does is, he doesn't wash spots by spot. This is a mistake that people make. One error, I will clean it. Another error, he says, no. You know, this is an old cloth. I will give you a new one. Which doesn't need ironing. <laughs> and it doesn't undergo any kind of melanie. You know, it doesn't get soiled. Oh Lord, this is a cloth like that. Yes, I have it. So, what do I have to do for that? Give me the old one, I'll do it. You know, exchange offer. Give me the old currency, I'll give you the new currency. Now, this is called the exchange of old consciousness with the new consciousness. Meaning thereby we should be ready for all these old movements which are habitually holding on to us to give to the divine with an aspiration that change it, Lord. So, he will take and one day you'll find that, let's say, in a certain, mother uses the word reversal of consciousness. Suddenly, basically, there is a new consciousness. So, the world will continue to act upon it. But because this is new and different, your responses, reactions, everything will change. The way we used to react with the old consciousness and respond with the old consciousness, that changes completely. The world has not changed. But slowly, the world coming in contact with this new state, Again, because it enters into the world, radiates, that begins to change. This is how the world is changed through the process of yoga, integral yoga. It's a collective yoga by its very nature. Each of us, as we grow more and more into the divine consciousness, becomes a radiating and transmitting, or receiving and transmitting instruments of the divine, which radiates into this world. And through that process, we change. So, aspiration, offering, concentration, Rejection of all that come. Rejection should be an automatic process. It should not be a, you know, pained and strained thing. The divine doesn't like that we have left something because, you know, we loved it. But for his sake, you know, imagine to a human being, you come and say, you know, I love that. I have my time I wanted to spend there, but I have come to be with you. You will say, please watch your TV match in my house. <laughs> Don't. So, when we go through that process, when time comes, when these things just drop off because your whole being feels that this is not what you want, they will come. And every time from the being, there is a cry that this is not what we want. You cannot take that kind of pleasure that one took in it before. And then the rejection process becomes much easier. And yes, as always in all things, surrender is the mainstay of this yoga. This yoga is more based on surrender than anything else. Meaning thereby the greater consciousness has the greater responsibility. And it enters and takes care. Even from the beginning actually we realize as we proceed on the journey that much before we even started the yogic process, the mother was already there holding us in her womb. It was a womb of darkness and we didn't realize. But all the experiences including the stifle, the labor pains, the dangerous passage into the world, all this was basically because she was there and she was pushing us in this direction. So yoga is when we recognize, surrender is when we recognize, oh, you were already carrying me. 
and then there is a wrapper and a bond it's like just like a baby in the womb he surrendered to the mother unconsciously when he comes out his first cry is a cry of life but it is in the hands of the divine mother so that is how we go through life in a state of surrender surrender is to give up whatever one is whatever one does it starts with offering but gets perfected into a state our destiny whatever may happen to our life it implies a state of inner peace it implies a state of inner happiness of trust and luminous confidence in the grace because i have surrendered my destiny to the lord so whatever happens in my life is a passage she knows best so surrender automatically gives us that famous or most important element of uh, yogic uh, action which is equanimity because we are in a state of equanimity because we are no more wanting to do karma with an idea of getting something and we are in a state of surrender we know that whatever the appearances however dark the appearances are invariably when we are moved by appearances and start having doubts that means the surrender is not complete but regardless of appearances when we understand that there is a divine consciousness working in this earth and within us and in this world then the surrender is complete then we face earth's happenings as shubindu says i face earth's happenings with an equal equal soul all my acts are thine i do thy works and pass victory is thy passage mirrored through fortune's glass failure is cradled on thy deathless arms so this is the state of surrender perfected which leads to a total equanimity and all this when it is created within at the center of which there is the divine mother and not the ego so that is the most important aspect of integral yoga uh, surrender to whom so people say impersonal world mother is there everywhere uh, you know there is a great truth when it is said guru gobind do khade kaake lagu pao it's not just a out of respect that is a social way of interpreting it it's because when we surrender to the guru in whom we see the gobind or who leads us to gobind whatever way we want to put it but who is the representative of the gobind then even our outer being has a chance to change and surrender so that's why when we uh, look at mother and shubindo's photograph when we uh, read their works come in contact with them when we think about them when we take their names when we bow down in front of their pictures or at the samadhi even the body is participating in it it's an integral yoga not just a yoga where we have self realization inside but far greater so therefore the mother and shurbindo um, in their present embodiment that is the significance of the avatar or the embodiment as uh, shri krishna tells in the gita that man manav bhav mad bhakta so uh, now they have come in this way and with them is the mandate for transformation so everything can become yoga and there are ways and means by which we can make the yoga even more uh, faster in fact out of their great compassion like reading shurbindo's books is a yoga reading savitri the mother has said it can take us to the highest realizations of yoga simply because it is full of that cons- uh, mantric consciousness uh, the mantra of transformation the rhythms that will transform us are embedded within those words so such a wonderful means he has given for a whole lifetime then of course mother's music mother's voice their pictures mother and shubindu said that we have put the mother put something of herself in the picture it is equally true of shirbindo and it is not just a photograph there is in that picture all pictures actually carry something of the person's consciousness and yogis know how to get in contact with 
the consciousness of the person through a picture. But here they have consciously put it. It's not just a picture. So when we just look at their picture, we are engaging in yoga. It's not a ritual. Of course, we can do it ritualistically, but yet there is a contact which is taking place. So all these manifolded ways um, they have opened or many doors they have opened for man. In the end, it's important to understand that each one's journey in this path is unique. Integral yoga is not a brand that one person can uh, say, put his stamp and say, this is integral yoga. Integral yoga is a many-sided opening and endeavor toward the divine where each one is uniquely carried. It's the original Sanatan Dharma approach to life where it's not like everybody who does this is following the path of integral yoga. Even nowadays I hear the term integral yogis and there are, you know, this type of meditation for integral yoga. Please stay away from all these things which try to reduce integral yoga to again one of those fixed formulas or methods. It is not a formula of method. The least thing that the divine likes is a fixed mechanical formula and method because every moment he destroys and recreates the whole world in the blink of an eye. We don't realize it. Countless atoms, countless cells, electrons are going out of existence and new ones are emerging. Isn't he engaged in that? Has he not always destroyed the past and brought in something new? So the divine is always moving forward. The moment we fix it into certain fixed dogmas, certain fixed processes, narrow ways, systems, and it can go to any extent. So we must carefully avoid that. It may be very good for one person to follow in a certain way. It may not be good for another person. For one person, it may be important to stay within the ashram. For another person, it may be equally important to stay outside. The core is important. One may stay in the ashram and not open to mother. One may be outside and aspire and open to mother. So core is the important aspect. Other things have their value, have their place, have their context. And most importantly, each one has a unique way of relating with the divine. That's why he created the world. He didn't want to create artificially intelligent robots. Where all are doing the same thing. How boring it would be to the divine where... Lacks of people are sitting together and doing the same uh, nama or lifting their hands up. The divine will say, my God, I wanted to create variety in this world. And what have you done? You are still again standardizing me, turning me into a mathematical formula. He will break it for sure. So let us take the joy of the journey, the delight of the journey. Through this triple labor of aspiration, rejection, surrender, the goal of which is not just an escape from earthly life into the beyond, not even an escape only from the ignorance by realizing that there is a greater truth beyond the soul, the spiritual self. All these are important, but they are only the starting point towards the transformation of earth nature. What is meant by transformation? Right now our nature has limited possibilities. Now, transformation means a progressive evolution and emergence of newer, higher and eventually the divine powers which are hidden behind waiting for their moment. And naturally, for it to come into the fullness, even the body must eventually change. Because um, if you have a highly sophisticated software, you need to little bit, I think, change the hardware. I am not sure. Uh, you can't have the same little hardware and bring in all the... So you need to change a little bit. So eventually, the final consummation of yoga is when the body itself will change so that instead of the breath and heartbeat of the lower nature, which drives it, will be driven directly 
by the supramental force, the divine force and the divine shakti, breath, speech, act, heartbeat, every action, even the organs, they will undergo a change till ultimately out of man a new being, a new species will emerge. Not only the human formula will be transcended, but a new being, a new race, a race of divine beings. Right now we are uh, humanized animals. Human animal will be replaced by a divine superhumanity of the future. So with this we can close. If there are any questions, we have 10-15 minutes. Most welcome. This is so wonderful, sir. And really thankful to you for putting the whole gamut of integral yoga in this one hour and setting the context for the whole module. And uh, also re really thankful for you for slow, so lucidly explaining integral yoga, the concept of surrender, aspiration. Uh, there is one question from Vinit Tanezaji. I would ask yes. him to raise his question. Yeah. Yes, please. Thank you, Alok Bhai. As always, transfixed and consumed fully. I'm always fascinated and somewhat troubled by the concept of perfection. Uh, this is something you talked about because perfection can also become a pursuit which can be very taxing. So can yes. you just clarify a yes. little bit as to what should be that bhav? Yes. Very, very good question. I'm grateful for this. Uh, normally, when we use the word perfection, uh, human perfection, uh, we basically mean two things. One is to create an order. And because at a human level, it's very difficult to understand what an order should be, especially when things are changing. So when things are changing, it's very difficult. You have a table arranged, to give a very small example, and you have no new object on the table, now the whole arrangement should change. So this perfection is not a static state, but a constant dynamic state. First thing, we have to understand this. And the second aspect of perfection is that it should take into the context the totality of things. Now, if I arrange my table, but it is not in sync with the wall, the room, and the room in relation to the house, then obviously that is not in perfection. So the first aspect of perfection is a wholeness. We have to take the totality. So that's why by perfection it means not just one aspect of the divine, to put it one, one way, not just his peace, not just his bliss, but also love, sweetness, wideness, uh, everything else which, you know, power is included, uh, is unity. At the same time, the individual growth, all these aspects of the divine, the infinity of his whole gamut of divine consciousness and powers, all these have to be taken into consideration. So first, thing about perfection is it's a constantly evolving thing as we evolve the whole so it requires a tremendous plasticity at a human level perfection brings a great problem because you know um, it, it, we, we love to have an order but every time a new element comes it creates a disorder and our mind is not supple in the beginning it is but as we grow older it becomes very difficult so it becomes very rigid and you know it, it becomes very frustrating but that's why because we are in pursuit of the divine perfection the mind has to be so supple and vast two qualities that the mother uh, insisted upon for the supramental creation is vastness and suppleness so that every time a new element uh, comes in so the whole thing inside shifts. It is bound to shift. And a new order emerges which is governed more by the divine than my, my mental notions of what should be and what should not be. So this is one aspect of it. Second is all the human qualities that today we 
you know uh, are happy about or seek they have the divine equivalent and they must evolve from the human to the divine because he is the perfect one so for example love love as a human love is all right it's good it's good it better than you know having hate and animosity but human love is so limited it's only the divine love which is unconditional in savitri there is a description of the divine being in the world soul where you know shubindu describes the uh, universal uh, being as one who could love without return for love so it is something so wonderful we all want unconditional love but from somebody else but we can embody it provided we understand that human love can be transmuted into its higher equivalent that's how savitri explains to that that human love first must change its ways to ways divine and that's why the supramental to lay the base the right base because in the field of falsehood if love descends it can you know become what it has become what it has become so this is the second aspect that every human thing knowledge there are new ways of knowing and ultimately knowledge by identity power itself so all these aspects have to be upgraded from the human into the divine so divine in divine all contraries the third aspect of perfection is there are no contraries or sundered parts it takes everything and gives them a new divine shape even what we call as asura and deva which is required at a certain level the right and wrong good and evil they get reconciled because they recover their lost unity what is falsehood falsehood is a twisted shape of truth but the moment it straightens up that's why in in the upanishad so beautifully it is spoken of agni uh, that which makes the crooked straight <laughs> so it's like you reclaim the original shape there was a distorting mirror which was distorting it right now we think falsehood to be discarded truth to be now falsehood has to be changed by an action of truth within everything even the deep densest darkness there is a core of light that's why it's a long process so it is reclaiming all that has been distorted in the course of the play for the sake of the divines that's why it's a long process so in the divine unity in in perfection there is a state of unity in which all the contradictions between world and god spirit and matter soul and nature all these are healed and reconciled because the divine is everywhere so it is that state of perfection towards which we have to climb it's a long process one should be prepared for it constant adjustment readjustment unlike having a great experience and saying bahut shanti mili thi so even the peace will keep on changing there are higher states of consciousness through which peace itself ascends in nutshell that's all thank you sir uh, we'll take one more question i'm just clubbing yes. due to lack of time uh, yes there are two fundamental questions what do you mean by ego and is divine the idea of paramatma okay so one is about the ego and the second is about is divine the idea of paramatma okay that's it right yes sir so so ego is a limited formation which nature creates to individualize see when it is said in the vedas in that why did the divine have this universe eko hum bahushyami so he wants many 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 divinities but the thing is for that individuals have to be formed so that each individual becomes the divine not to form individuality you have to create the sense of separation from that unity it's an apparent separation it's like the mother gave a very beautiful example you know when you have to make ice cream now there are two ways of eating ice cream one is take a, a big handi of uh, milk or whatever please excuse ha huh? i don't know much about making ice cream but uh, put it in the freezer put some uh, whatever cream or whatever sweet or chocolate whatever you want to put and do it and then take it that's one way but there is no individuality of the ice cream <laughs> you can't say i'm going to mix all the flavors 
but that's not what he wants so he puts each in different molds in one mold he puts vanilla in another he puts uh, you know butterscotch in the third uh, i am exhausted with all my ideas of the different type chocolate okay so these are different ice creams now they are all ice cream in a sense but they are all different in flavor so divine has created this world to make many many ice creams but the first phase wherein you have to shut it in a container where there is a difference so ego does the task of individualizing that's a very important process for yoga because if we have not become an individual we cannot surrender now what it means is that before becoming an individual or the ego individual uh, we are a mass we are driven by whatever you know whatsapp message says chalo jahaj mein ud chalo so you know everybody is flying holding to the uh, you know plane ka tire and you know what happened driven like the mass and the herd but individuality means i am no more a creature of the mass and the herd i make my choices these are ego choices but i make the choice now this ego itself will you know ascends through a hierarchy of nature uh, there is a tamasic ego i automatically adopt it when i am born this my name my surname my family my grandfather this my uh, my family ego custom culture tradition then as i ascend this rajasic ego my achievements okay my family may be whatever but these are my achievement this is my visiting card so this is the rajasic ego and then there is the satvik ego where i define myself by my ideas my ideologies my thoughts what i subscribe so so these are the layers through which the ego ascends when it reaches the limits of the satvik ego then one realizes that well my greatest formulas and shastras cannot help me in everyday life there is something missing and then when the mind has become to an extent satvik when it uh, there is a satvik ego satvik ego is the ego of the self righteous i will never do this sure enough divine will say okay you said you won't do it there i come <laughs> so <laughs> so then you will say oops i did it again <laughs> so we are saying but the satvik ego is where uh, you know it's most hard to go beyond because one is experiencing the state of self righteousness rajasik and tamasik ego is relatively easier especially rajasik ego because the rajasik man is all the time like a free floater and he leaps at the divine but satvik man i am already good i am a good guy i am a righteous guy i am doing nothing wrong i am a morally perfect human being why should i seek the divine but anyways so this is the ego mold through which we become individuals when we become individuals then we have to start offering it back to the divine because otherwise offering has no meaning swami vekananda when somebody came and told him that you know i have come to renounce the world then he said what do you have which you can renounce so first we gather the elements of nature we create boundaries this is me this is not me this is mine that is not mine it's an illusion but don't break the illusion prematurely the ego has to go to that point if you break it prematurely then we are like that man who says mera kuch nahi hai uh, you know nothing belongs to me and then you know imagine if lord rama took that approach anyway janki was not mine janki belonged to the world this is all divine creation gave a nice lecture and then what would have happened of ramayana uh, lord rama would have become an, another recluse sanyasi or sri krishna would have said arjuna you have woken up to a great mystic truth ये सब क्या है प्ले है दुर्योधन इज नॉट ट्रू यू आर नॉट नथिंग इज ट्रू ओनली डिवाइन इज ट्रू इट्स ऑल इल्यूजन सो दिस इज द डेंजर सो ईगो डेवलपमेंट इज अ स्टेज इन द प्रोसेस थ्रू दैट वी डेवलप सर्टेन एलिमेंट्स ऑफ नेचर थ्रू विच द सोल विद इन अस एक्सप्रेसेस दैट्स वेयर द सुधर्मा कम्स इन दैट द सोल मस्ट एक्सप्रेस इट सेल्फ थ्रू नेचर इज एन इंस्ट्रूमेंट बट इनिशियली दिस एलिमेंट्स ऑफ नेचर विच इट डेवलप्स इज थ्रू द 
फॉर्मेशन ऑफ ईगो सो इट इज नेसेसरी टिल सोल इज एस्लीप सो ईगो इज लाइक द मैनेजर वेन द सोल इज लाइक द नॉट रियली मालिक तो डिवाइन है उसके पीछे इमिनेंट डिवाइन है बट लेट से द प्रिंस एंड द सोल इज द मैनेजर सो वेन द प्रिंस इज एस्लीप देन the ego manages it manages well or bad depending upon but when the prince wakes up then says well this is never your kingdom then the ego may say come please take it like sugriv lord rama you take it or it may say like kans no it's not your kingdom akrur is bandi not akrur sorry agrasen so krishna comes and says anyways i am going to take it because it doesn't belong to you so that's when the yoga process starts when the ego becomes ripe and ready to give itself to the divine this one part second about divine and paramatma paramatma by its very definition is the supreme soul now of course paramatma is also divine i mean i mean he is the ultimate highest if you take uh, jivatma atma and the paramatma depending on but here the word divine is used in two sense Paramatma is somebody out there. It's we, if you want to use it, use the word. It's a static. Whether he's being or uh, whether he is, um, you know, an impersonal state doesn't matter. It is a static state. But the divine is at once static and um, you know dynamic. So we can use the divine in two sense. One as the highest state, the Paramatma, the ultimate divine, but also as a state of relative progression. That's why divine is also used as an adjective. Divine quality, divine element. moving toward divinity a breath of divinity so divine implies by its very nature that there is of course the purest the perfect the highest state that one can ever conceive the parmatma but that divine also leans into creation becomes the soul of the world becomes the soul within the individual and also in this whole becoming he is constantly taking us towards higher and higher Uh, aspects to take the analogy of the gita shri krishna in his highest is purushottama we can use the word parmatma but shri krishna is not just that when he is seated on the chariot of arjuna leading him through the battlefield then he is krishna the avatar the divine leading man towards uh, through the battle towards a greater becoming so divine implies by its very nature all that is ever in progress towards something still greater something more beautiful and there is no end to this becoming of the divine so this is the subtle difference whereas parmatma is something static param supreme he is there and while he is everywhere without a doubt but the word divine conjures within itself that we are constantly in a state of moving towards him and that which is moving towards him is moving from a lesser divine to a greater divine to put it like that we are uh, more divine than the maybe the cat or the dog in certain ways and they look up to us animal world looks up to us as divinities but the gods are more divine to us i mean not a very good example but at least in terms of certain capacities they are and beyond the gods there is the supreme who is even more divine than the gods so there is a state of moving from lesser the divine of yesterday to the divine of the future this is how divine means also the manifestation the supreme is beyond manifestation so that's the difference so for those who want to escape from the world parmatma is enough but for those who want a divine manifestation to change then the divine word is much more uh, accurate and uh, opposite thank you thank you sir for the wonderful explanation and this explanation of divine is the first time that i'm hearing that it's a progressive 
it's an adjective and progressive approach towards the paramatma divinity many thanks to you we shall end the session with one minute of meditative silence then we can all disperse